Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people to make friends, I'm just trying to help make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, sometimes there's this major schism. A schism between what companies are really worth and what their stocks are selling for. And this is one of those times. Oh, sure, we had a good session today. Dow gaining 205 points, S&P climbing 0.73%, NASDAQ jumping 0.93%. If you own a stock at a company that reported good numbers this morning, guess what? You were justly rewarded. Oh, but has it been like that? Uh-uh. See, we've just gone through the longest losing streak of the year, five straight days with the S&P 500 finished in the red. And frankly, lots of companies reported good numbers during that period. Yet their shareholders are now underwater. I want to talk about this schism tonight because this market's plagued by selling based on the big picture, and it can create terrific opportunities in individual companies that slip through the cracks. If you can simply think out a little longer term than this afternoon or tomorrow or next week or maybe even the next month. Look, on the surface, I know it seems, it seems easy enough. I mean, just going into tonight's close, it looked like we, were gonna, we had terrific numbers from Microsoft and Alphabet, two of the Magnificent Seven. And they were good, except Alpha reported a slightly weaker line called its cloud number. That's right, the Google Cloud. And Microsoft, a much stronger cloud number, and suddenly they diverge in dramatic fashion. Consider the vicissitudes a shareholder must suffer from the actual facts laid out when a company reports, and then let's overlay something much bigger, the bigger picture. Sure, tonight these two stocks trade on their fundamentals and expectations. But if interest rates shoot up, perhaps because of the price of oil, perhaps because of some unaccounted for strength in the economy, not something we want to see right now, then cloud, no cloud, good or bad, those stocks are going to be headed lower. I want to demonstrate this. Let me demonstrate how difficult this moment really is by analyzing the positive action in key non-tech names that have already reported, and we have their scorecard already. I want to talk about Coca-Cola, 3M, RTX, that used to be Raytheon Technologies, General Electric, and Verizon. Coca-Cola shares gained 3% today because the company delivered some decent growth with better profit margins, courtesy of price increases. 3M stock jumped 5% after it beat estimates, okay, uh, and gave you a very positive outlook. RTX, it told you a longer-term growth story and and stability story, both in aerospace and defense, not to mention $10 billion buyback. That's how its stock soared 7%. All right, now. The stock of GE, look at this, 6% after trouncing the expectations and guiding up huge 
a terrific quarter that assured us or aerospace is on fire, while the soon-to-be-spun-off power division is doing much better than expected. Hey, best of all, Verizon. Yeah, Dowdy's slow growth for Verizon. It shot up 9% because it mustered up such a price, with decent growth at home broadband and good business phone numbers. Now, CFDs, are all these companies doing really well? I could argue yes, but only really just against negative expectations. Yes, low expectations. It was the difference between these low expectations and the new reality that we got in today's reports that totally, that, that's what drove these price increases. Reality versus what we thought would happen. Coca-Cola stock, for example, was down 15% for the year coming into today. That's a lot of concern that pricing wouldn't hold up. 3M stock was actually down 28% coming in today, off 100 points from its highs two years ago. Almost all of them coming from horrendous litigation risk. What a pollution, ear damage to soldiers who use their faulty earplugs. Allegedly faulty, some juries said yes. Now, it seems like that risk is finally baked in. Three months ago, RTX was at $97. The last night it was at $73, brought low by a $3 billion charge that it took for aircraft engine manufacturing issues. They lost a fortune and took a huge reputational hit when they had to replace those Pete, Pat, and Whitney engines. Now RTX back to 78, but it's still nowhere near its highs. Look, now this is the outlier GE. We all knew that GE's aerospace division was doing great, but, but you know what? We had no idea that it was that strong. And more importantly, we certainly didn't know their power business is doing well. That's wind turbines. Wow. Surprising strong both on and offshore, although offshore still got work to do. Oh, and Verizon? It's been stumbling for ages, losing share to T-Mobile while perhaps having litigation risk from old phone lines allegedly causing groundwater problems. For all we knew, the company seemed on track to cut its enormous dividend at an 8% yield, always a red flag because it means people are worried about the payout. Turns out those worries were unjustified. Verizon generating a ton of cash flow and litigation risk was overblown. Long story short, while it might look easy to pick these household names, Coca-Cola, RTX, 3MG, Verizon, these were actually very difficult to get because the stocks were so hated going internees, except for GE. If this were the NFL, I'd say that every one of these stocks, except for GE, looked like heavy underdogs. But now let's get back to the schism I mentioned at the top of the show. When companies, what companies are truly worth versus where their stocks are trading? Think about all the things that had to go right to get to the point where we consider these household name stocks to be worth buying on their own birds. First, again, with exception G, these stocks have been atrocious performers. Four out of five are still down for the year, even after today. Owning them has been a nightmare. You look like a dope if you recommended them just a couple of months ago. Second, there's the question of time. These five reported on a day when interest rates went down. You know what? That's been a rarity in the last few months. If they reported the same numbers last week when rates were soaring, I bet these stocks might have been pulverized. Like everything else, the good numbers would have been irrelevant. They got lucky. They reported on a calm day. Rates were quiet today. Bonds doing nothing, likely because oil went down a couple percent. If oil had rallied instead, then rates would have gone up and most of the stocks would have gone down, including these. Third. These stocks could roar because the market's heavily oversold, as measured by the S&P oscillator that we constantly tell you to pay close attention to in the CNBC Investing Club. They came down too far, too fast, and were due for a rebound. The market is so oversold, still is, by the way, that, there, there's a, that this gives you an opportunity to buy, but only, again, if rates stay tame, and especially if they go lower. You see who's calling the tune here, don't you? 
Not the stock. Not, it's not Verizon. It's not GE. It's not RTX. It's not 3M. It's Coca-Cola. It's the 10-year Treasury that's calling shots. And that's what makes this market so tricky. You've got to run an insanely tough gauntlet to capture these points. I'd argue that it's simply better to wait until the averages are down again before you buy, given the nature of this market. I bet there'll be another opportunity. I don't think it's worth the risk of betting on a beat and raised quarter when the numbers only count if the S&P 500 futures aren't dragging you down. You could hit on Microsoft or miss on Google, and it might not even matter if rates soar, because then you could lose on both. As long as this market's hostage to oil and Treasury yields, as long as there seems to be only a minor respite from higher rates, as long as we have to worry about the Fed tightening again because the economy remains too high, as long as the Treasury Department keeps its heavy financing schedule to finance our government's gigantic budget deficits, I think these post-earning rebounds are merely trades and nothing more. Good trades, but trades nonetheless. Once we get to a point where interest rates are steady, even at a much higher rate, even at 6% on the third year, and we have terra firma underneath the S&P 500, the linkage won't be so pronounced. Only then will it be more, make a lot more sense to be aggressive with individual stocks. You can buy them small, but not aggressively. Bottom line, for now, your best bet is to wait for the next move up in interest rates, which will trigger the next sell-off in stocks, that's, and that's when you buy. Or you can just say, all right, I missed the moment, but the rate linkage might give me another chance. No matter what, I, don't get frustrated that your individual stock homework didn't pay off for five straight days. And if your companies have reported today, you might be in the black. If you're able to think longer term, things can work out with companies that are doing well. But you have to be willing to stay the course. And if you can't, then consider 5% treasuries until it's more sanguine out there. Me, as much as I dislike the short-term trading, the longer-term investing can still be very rewarding no matter what day you do the buy. Tom in Florida, Tom. Hey, hi, Jim. Uh, First-time caller and investment club member. Oh, thank Uh, you, Tom. I have a question about uh, Devon Energy, uh, DVN. Um, I'm wondering if Devon acquires another oil company like Marathon, for example, how would the merger affect Devon's stock price? Okay, well, first, I think that uh, right now is a tough time to own, Devin. The company has not done well. I think if they did a merger, all you'd be doing is making a bet on the next company, perhaps. I think it's so much better to go and buy a solid company like Cotera, CTRA, which is doing so well, and yet still isn't anywhere near what's intrinsic value is. And I like the idea of not having to worry about the next quarter. Cotera gives you that satisfaction. Jay in Oklahoma, Jay. Booyah, Jim. Hey, thanks for taking my call, and thanks for helping me make lots of money. Hey, man, my question is Apple. Apple is uh, doing not much lately, and I was just curious what your thoughts were on it with the tensions between the U.S. and China. Do you think Mr. Cook will navigate his way through all this? All right. Well, look, I'll tell you, I've seen in the time since I've been recommending Apple, I've seen everything when it comes to China, U.S., with Mac, with the phones, with the problems with it, with literally everything. And all I can tell you is, is that I say own Apple, don't trade it. Does that mean that this Apple quarter is going to be terrific? I don't know. I think that Apple's terrific. Maybe that's what matters. For now, your best bet is to wait for the next move up in rates if you miss these stocks that I was just talking about, uh, because that will trigger his health no matter how good they are. That's what's happening right now. Well, man, tonight, the price of gold has soared over the last month. So could investors be sitting on a gold mine and have no idea? I'm seeing if Barrick Gold could be the actual gold mine for your portfolio with the company's top brass. Then the day-to-day action in this tape has become difficult to predict. 
So in tough moments like this, I'm consulting the technicals to get a non-emotional view of where this market could be headed. And Ron Shake, the visionary founder behind Panera Bread, is out with a new book recounting how he crafted the fast casual space. Yeah, it was his idea. I'm learning more about some of the big takeaways of his storied career with the man himself. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. I always tell you to have some gold exposure, if only as insurance against geopolitical turmoil, which we have a ton of right now, which is why, by the way, that the price of gold has roared nearly 9% since its lows earlier this month. That makes the gold miners a terrific safety blanket in an otherwise risky environment, which brings me to my fave, Barrick Gold, which also has a sideline of copper. I think Barrick's arguably the best run player in the industry, although the industry's been tough at times in recent years. But now gold's headed in the right direction. Of course, Barrick pre-announced somewhat mixed production and sales results earlier this month, but rising prices can certainly change the whole narrative. So let's take a closer look with Dr. Mark Bristow. He's the president and CEO of Barrick Gold to learn more about how things are going both in gold and in his company. Dr. Bristow, welcome back to Mad Money. Uh, Jim, how are you doing? I haven't seen you for a lot while. I'd say it's too long, Mark, because you've got to fill us in. It looks like the gold's finally breaking out. I want to give you, before we talk about Barrick, Get, give us your impressions of what's finally happening in the gold market. You know, uh, Jim, I think the gold price has done pretty well in the last while because a lot of pressure on the downside be- because of the higher interest rates. But uh, the higher gold price really is, to your point, um, pointing to a broader risk in the global economy. And, of course, added on to that, as we've seen just recently, the geopolitical risk heightening almost by the day. So let, let's talk about your company. Uh, you, obviously, you've got some of the best minds in the world. 
But you've also decided to get in very quickly to what uh, I'd say very large into what's something that we know is a byproduct in the last time that we saw you, which is copper. Uh, if we really want to own a stock that uh, is a way as a, as a hedge insurance against world turmoil, are we diminishing that because of your copper stance? No, because the copper growth that we've got, one, is organic. We're not buying it. And two, it's very low cost. So a big big mine in uh, Lamoana, we're actually expanding the one we've got to about 240,000 tons of copper a year. And then the, the um, Rikadik mine in, or project in Pakistan comes, it, 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 when it's fully developed, 400,000 tons of copper and 500,000 ounces of gold. So as I, you and I discussed, when we merged with Rand Gold, remember, mm-hmm. when we would get into copper, we want to go big and preferably porphyries, which always comes with some gold. Well, Mark, I feel like that your stock's been kept back a little bit, like many companies that are really kind of industrial. You're an industrial company by raw costs. And there's nothing we can do about it. Labor costs have been bad. The trucks cost much more than they used to. Everything costs more than they used to. When do you think those costs can plateau, which would make it so that you'd be pretty much one for one with gold, if not even exceed the price of gold in your performance? You know, the gold equities have underperformed for a while. I think, you know, I liken it back to uh, uh, 2012, 13, 14, 15, after the big boom um, in 2011 with the commodity prices. And and people have just bought gold. And, you know, I think we've been working on fixing Barrick. And now we've fixed it. And we really have a solid foundation of quality assets. We've delivered significant value to our shareholders. And, you know, we're working hard now to get the value of our stock up because it's definitely undervalued. I agree with you. But it's always good to work from the bottom up, Jim, as you know, and not sort of look over the cliff of an overvalued stock. So work to get done, but but a good investment. I totally agree. Now, we had this. The privilege of having the CEO of Costco on recently, you know, they now sell gold at their stores and yet they can't yeah. they can't keep it up. They just the demand is too great. Is it not counterintuitive to buy the, uh, the gold bar when you can buy the company that makes the most that finds the most gold and has an incredibly low cost? And you get that for well under the price of the gold that you're buying at the store. Well, certainly, you know, the, the problem is that a lot of gold companies have stopped exploring and they're going through, they're growing through acquisition. Now, that's not a good way to create value in the gold industry, as you and I have spoken over the last decade. Um, as you know, I'm very big on organic growth. We've certainly been able to replace all the ounces that we've mined since the merger and start growing it and now we're pointing to a significant 30 percent growth on a gold equivalent basis out to about 2028. well that that to me is is the statement you have uh correctly delivered over the very long term short term things not that great but i'm looking at your shirt and it says nevada gold mine should we be thinking that the lowest uh cost best mines in the world are not necessarily in pakistan but they might be in nevada yeah, it's the biggest gold mining complex in the world. I'm here now with the team. We're doing our quarterly reviews. It's been a fantastic voyage here in Nevada. And I'll tell you what, this is not a mature mining destination. There's still lots more to find. I'll just give you a little example. 
since we did the merger with the Newmont assets, we've produced over 13 million ounces. We've replaced all of them through the drill bit, and we've distributed $8 billion to the two shareholders. So really created value, and we are the economy of Northern Nevada. Is there ever a chance that you go back to in the 80s and early 90s? I used to uh, tell people, just go buy the South African goals because they kept raising the dividend. You get an 8% distribution. If your stock continues to be this low, will we start seeing an even uh, bigger distribution so that we'll start buying barracks, say, if it were here at 4, 5, 6%, if it doesn't start going up? We have, and you know, we've, we had a run of uh, buying our stock back last year. Um, the stock price got very low, and we'll continue to do that. But uh, again, going back to our previous conversations, if you focused on building a value-creating business like I was in Rangold, eventually you make more money than you need to invest in, in your future. And Barrick is definitely getting to that point. And then you'll see the growth in the returns to shareholders. Well, it is nearly five years since the new barrack. Uh, reflections on what has happened, because there have been some, I don't want to call them missteps, but there's just been, it's, you just haven't been able to make as much money as I was hoping. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been, a, a, it was, we did some big deals right off the bat. Um, the uh, Nevada deal was a hostile, so we didn't do due right. diligence. We had to just uh, trust the assets that we were gonna buy. And we've had to fix, do a lot of fixing, but the, the bottom line is the quality of all the assets that we put together is, is a high quality set of uh, gold deposits. And so now we're starting to see, and we had a webinar the other day just pointing to the delta between what we believe the value of our businesses and what the market's giving us. And that's our focus now is to tell everyone, there's the big delta. You should buy the stock, and we'll work on unlocking that value. Well, you know, I've been a huge believer. I have been for wherever you've been, and I continue to think that this stock is just kind of crazy undervalued, Mark. And that's because of your work and because of your assets. I want to thank Mark Bristow, who's president and CEO of Barrick Gold, G-O-L-D. I I miss you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Okay. Man Money's back after the break. Coming up. As go the Magnificent Seven, so goes the S&P. Is this a decisive week for the major averages? Kramer goes off the charts to find out next. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. 
Boy, is it hard to get your bearings in this tape? I mean, stocks rolled over last week. Then we got hit yesterday morning before a nice rebound today. Everything's been canceling out. Who knows? Pull back this morning, then a big rally. Like I said at the top, everything felt good again today at the close as the price of oil and long-term treasury yields both went lower. In the end, though, it seems like it's impossible to predict where we're going from one day to another. And we got a huge earnings slate this week and next, adding to the confusion. So what do you do? In moments like this, I always recommend taking a step back and consulting the technicals. Why? Because that, that's one of the best ways to check your emotions. Got to take them out of the equation. It's tough not to get emotional when the market's so volatile, but when we're emotional, we tend to use bad judgment. Sometimes you need to take all that qualitative stuff out of the equation and go for a more quantitative approach, quantitative approach, so you don't get blindsided. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with Jessica Inskip. She's a brilliant technician. She was the first woman on the active trader desk at Fidelity. Then she became the director of advanced trading, uh, trader strategy at Merrill Self Direct, and now she's the director of product and education at Options Play, as well as being the co-host of the new Market Make Her podcast, which is a financial literacy program aimed at women. I really like it. If you remember on Chart Week at the end of July, Inskip warned us that August would be horrific. Thank you. It was. A month and a half before that, she warned that the Nasdaq might be peaking. Yes, she loved the tech-heavy Nasdaq earlier this year when it was roaring. Good call. Then she told us things were about to get ugly. Another good one. These are really amazing calls. I have to put all that because I want you to listen. So what does she see right now? Let's take a look at the weekly chart of the S&P 500 Equal Weight Index, which is a version of the S&P where every stock represents an equal share of the index. Why is that important? Well, the regular S&P 500 is market cap weighted, which means a dozen mega cap companies have really outsized influence on the action. That's where the equal weight version comes in. It gives you a clearer road. I read on the other 490-odd stocks, many of which you may own. Now, at the end of July, Inskip predicted that horrific August action, which is exactly what happened. Since then, we've gotten, well, we, look, we just kept going lower, right? During this period, the S&P 500 equal weight has pulled back to its 200-week moving average. 200-week, actually breaking down below that support level last week. Right now, Inskip says the S&P equal weight is facing a moment of truth. If we close this week lower than last week, she predicts another hideous leg down as more investors capitulate. On the other hand, if the S&P equal weight can have an up week, she thinks that might, well, maybe we found a floor of support that stocks can rebound off of. Tricky moment. Again, just as I alluded to when the show opened. When you look at the 13-week, 26-week, and 40-week moving averages, they're all turned downward. See that? These are all going down. Wait a second. The 200, look at this. Still going higher. Bullish. Remember, that's the floor right around 5,540. Let's use that. If the S&P equal weight can hold at that level, Inskip believes it could be smooth sailing to 5,858, which is the next ceiling of resistance, 5,850. Those are the key levels to watch. Most importantly, the floor of support, because if the support doesn't hold, all right, charts against you. Again, one more thing that's up, it has you back against the wall here. At the end of the day, this market's still hostage to Treasury yields and tech earnings. But the S&P equal weight could be making a stand here. Let's see if it could hold on through the rest of the week. Next up, how about the weekly chart of the regular S&P 500, not the market weight, the S&P. You know, we're not doing equal anymore. Now we're just doing the regular S&P. Here you can see a very similar picture. After all, every member of the Magnificent Seven has been bumping against its floor of support, and those are the stocks that have much more impact on the plain old S&P. Inskip says the S&P 500 has a floor of support at around 4,195, okay, uh, which comes from the January 31st high. Meanwhile, there's a ceiling of resistance at 4,325 right there. 
that's the August 15th high. As Iskip sees it, the S&P needs to hold at these levels or else we risk a steeper sell-off. If we fall below 4195, then the next one is 4100. And, you know, these again, this is that problem that I said at the top. We could go this way, we could go this way, so we got to check our emotions. What about the tech-heavy Nasdaq 100? Here we have another index that's sitting right above its floor of support. For the NASDAQ 100, that floor is 14,384, which is the lower high from October of 2021. That level also coincides with the gap down formed on April 4th of last year. If we can hold above the floor, Inskip says the next ceiling resistance might not be until 15,265. That'd be a huge gain. But if the floor collapses, the next key support doesn't come until 13,720. You get the picture. Why does it matter whether these averages hold above their support levels? It's simple. There's so much going against us in this market, and the charts are difficult enough as it is that you don't want one more negative thrown in here. Remember, a lot of money managers take their cue from the technicals. If you know the important levels they're watching, you can predict their next moves. Here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Jessica Inskip, suggest this week could be potentially a major turning point for the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ 100. Either the lows hold and we get a meaningful rebound, or today's positive action turns out to be a temporary reprieve on the way to lower prices. Oh, man. So watch these key support levels, because if Inskip's right, they can prove to be decisive, and it could very much jive with exactly what I'm talking about when I started this show. Let's go to Don in Florida. Don. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Big fan of your show. Uh, thank you for being a club member. Boy, have we ever been working so hard on the club, and I know you know that, and Jeff Marks has done such a terrific job. How can I help you? This stock has been in a free fall since posting horrible first and second quarters. Reporting this Thursday, but now boasting a 4.2% yield, a historically reasonable P.E., and a new Teamsters contract, at what level would you be a buyer of UPS, Jim? Well, Don, let me throw you a loop here. Um, if I like UPS, then I have to love FedEx. FedEx right now is in a, in a renaissance. Raj Superminian is doing a terrific job. I'd rather see you in that uh, just because I think that they also have a better uh, holiday plan. And they're still taking out such a huge number of costs that they have, they're in better stead than UPS right now. Can I go to Christopher in Oklahoma, please? Christopher. I'm excited, Jim. I'm excited. First off, if you were a college football coach, you would be Brent Venables. Nobody sleep on the Sooners this year. Wow. I've got, uh, I've got one I, for you. Go ahead. Sure. Go, no, go right ahead. I mean, I'm doing college coach. I mean, I'm, there's just uh, there's a guy in Alabama that's pretty good there. But go ahead. Go ahead. So you're high energy and you're cut from a different cloth. That's exactly why you'd be that's good. That's true. That's true. That's okay, right. fair okay, enough. So here's my question. I've got Uber. I've got Uber uh, some calls right after earnings. I'm curious your thought. i got some 43. I'm in the money now, but I'm curious just what you think over the well, short you know, I hate to have Uber. a gun to my head on a November 7th uh, earnings report. I do like Uber. Let's do that. Rather than say I think that the calls are going to make money, what's my direction on Uber? I think it's higher, not lower. And I think that Dara Costasari is just a fantastic manager. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, a lot of college coaches, I like I, – I, I was going to say Penn State, but that's because Jeff Morris is a Penn State fan. The charts, as interpreted by Jessica Inskip, suggest that this week could be potentially a major turning point for the S&P 500 and NASDAQ 100. I totally agree with her. I, want, I gave you those key support levels so you know what could prove to be decisive. Much more made money head. Ron Shake, the man behind Panera Bread, has a new role as chair of the recently public Kaba. We're going to find out about that. And I'm learning more and more about the deal and what he's seeing in the casual space. 
and a great book. And the book is Know What Matters. Hey, then, by the way, we earlier I had a chance to speak to RTX CEO Greg Hayes, and he had some eye-opening comments on the state of defense in our country as two land wars unfold in Ukraine and Middle East. I'm sharing what you want to make of this pivotal moment. And, of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. about doing this show for the past 18 odd years is that we can learn so much from the best executives on earth. The saddest thing, though, is that these guys retire. Maybe they pass the torch to a younger CEO. Maybe they sell the company, take it private, and then we might never hear from them again. And that's why I was so excited to see that Ron Shake, the founder and former CEO of Panera Bread, was writing a new book. He's one of the top experts in the restaurant space. He's made Cheryl's Bunner, by the way, the best performing stuff. I don't care what you think, but the best performing restaurant. We've got those numbers chained the whole time he was, he was running it. And he's also involved in the industry as an investor, including Kava, by the way. You know what we like? Right down the block, they've got one. So Shake's new book, Know What Matters, Lessons from a Lifetime of Trans- Transformations, came out today. I got an advanced copy so we can talk about it. Ron, I am so thrilled. I'm going to just tell Tim, you right it's now. Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm going to but tell I'm you. But I'm not retired, Jim. No, that's true. You are more active in investing than ever. But you did uh, sell Panera. We'll get into that in a second. Yes. But first, I want to tell people uh, there's tons of business books that are written, and I never have anybody on, other than Danny Meyer, by the way, from hosp- on his okay. hospitality. And I don't because they're filled with platitudes. They don't really mean much, and they have no soul. This is the opposite. Ron, I got to tell you, I felt for you throughout. It was gut-wrenching. And if it weren't for the fact that I know you personally, I would have said that you had to be one of the most miserable people in the world when you were running Panera. No, I, I, I love doing it. But anybody who tells you that it doesn't have pain you know, isn't, isn't dealing with the reality of what this process is. The business owns you. You don't own the business. And you need to go into it with that kind of understanding and that kind of commitment. When we had billions of dollars, six, seven, eight billions of dollars of investor money, 125,000 employees, and communities all over the country depending on us, you better bet I felt that on my shoulders and the commitment to take care of them. But what bothered me, Ron, I know you as a guy from the beginning, yeah. followed the journey. It's another I, New Jersey guy. Right. Yes, indeed. And I, I used to go to that Obama pan, it was in Harvard Square. But I know you yes. as a person who took everything personally because you wanted to do a great job for shareholders, for people who work at Panera, and yes. for customers. And yet, throughout this incredible journey, you had two companies come in and say that they were kept bossing you around. They were financial guys. You had CFOs who quit on you for absolutely just like that out of the... You, there were things that happened in this transformation, in this journey, Ron, that shouldn't happen to someone who's a bad guy. I know you as a good guy. But it's the nature of the game, Jim. Look, at transformation is what companies need. The problem is we live in a pervasively short-term capital market. Yes. When I went public uh, 32 years ago for the first time, the average shareholder held for four months. Today, it's four weeks. What's going on? You've got shareholders that are worried about the next inflection point. Right. Right. Other shareholders worried about long-term transformation. If you're going to execute long-term transformation, you better have the personal staying power. You better have the support of your leading investors. I had T. Rowe behind me, I had Capri behind me, and every time I had an activist who wanted to short-term it, uh, boost up the stock and leave me holding the carcass, every time that happened, I had people that stepped up and supported me, and many don't. 
Well, I know that there's a moment where Will Danoff, how you Kajifa, my oldest holding, he comes in and he gives you a hug because he's a long-term investor. Yes. And against them, you have these companies. I'm not even going to dignify who they are, but one, they didn't know you from a subway. Right. Absolutely. But that's just wrong. Yeah. I mean, we had. You're, we're talking about Shamrock, who came after us, took down uh, Michael Eisner. They were a good uh, tool. They were an oil tool company. Yeah. Well, they that. took me aside and said, "Look at Ron. We now own eight percent of your company." What we want you to do is take one of our guys and make him your VP of strategy. And I went out to see Stanley Gold. We had dinner at Spago. And I, I, I literally remember he said to me, you know, for a CEO, you're not a bad guy. And I looked at him for an activist. You're not so bad either. Yeah. Well, how about another guy who who uh, came to you and talked about maybe you making uh, sandwiches for them and they and, and you selling his coffee? It sounded like he wanted to buy you. And yes, I am talking about Howard Schultz. Yeah. You go to your board. You even talk about it. He fly, you fly out. Everything looks great. And then, frankly, I felt like that was one of the great disappointments that he really, I felt, led you on into thinking that you were going to that he wanted to buy you. And then, boom, nothing. Well, I, I actually think they did. I think what okay. the problem was, and this is the story of, of Starbucks Stop and Panera merging, our stock took off. That made that deal harder and harder. Simultaneously, he told me he was stepping down. Kevin Johnson was coming in. Right. And I think it was probably very difficult for them to consider that at that point. Here's the reality of business. We as CEOs think we can control things. Right. The reality is we can control some of what happens, right. but so much of what happens in business and in life is beyond our personal well, control. This, one of the reasons why I love this book is that you, you tell the truth. It was, you use terms, it was disappointing. It was a gut punch. If these things occur, and people need to understand that it looked easy. Stock went like this. Yeah, of course. But there were, almost every day something happened, like Panera 2.0. I remember when you told me, it's going to turn. It's going to turn. Go to North Carolina. Go to, there's three stores in North Carolina. I remember when you told me that your son went to a Panera, and it was like a mosh pit. It's all there in this yes. book. Yes. But more importantly, Jim, what I want is less the stories and more the lessons that I can share right. with entrepreneurs, I can share with other CEOs, people running large institutions. There's a better way to do this. Tell the truth, right. really figure out what matters, and then get it done. And the other thing I wanted to speak to that's different than this genre is I wanted to speak to the humanity of this process, what it's like as a person going through it, so other people can relate to that. Well, I hope people read it before they start a business because, or take in somebody's money or have yeah. a publicly traded stock because you know what? I, I need people to know that it's so much harder than they think. And the success that looked so easy when you were doing it, including, by the way, the, the best loyalty program, the best expansion program, yeah. measured expansion, of which I don't usually see. These were all these were byproducts. And I see another one that you're involved in. And I'm hoping it's the same journey. I see you involved with Kava. Kava has got the potential to be an industry dominant company. This is really one of the real ones. Many companies that go public shouldn't. This one should. Why? 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 Because it's in a niche. It's in a category that is powerful. Mediterranean, very simply, could be the next Mexican. It's got bold flavors. It's got the number one diet in America. In addition... Craveable wellness, which you talk about. It is craveable. It's healthy, but it gets to the food itself. The flavors are what people are seeking, yet they're familiar. Right. So you put those two together, you have the potential. And the trick to kava is it's not, it's, it's, it's not about what is promising for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's about what it's producing today and then replicating it and rolling it out. Kava has that potential. And they have you. 
Uh, they have Brett Schulman, our CEO. Okay. Uh, hopefully, I'm there to give him some perspective and experience. Okay, well, look, I want people who are interested. The reason I focused on the stories, yes. by the way, is that if I just said, listen, lessons, people say, oh, God, another lessons no. book. The lessons are seamless with the stories, which are exciting. Yes. And also heartfelt, as you always have been. Thank you, Ron. Come here, give me a hug. Ah. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, Ron Shakes. I've known him for years. Ron Shakes, the founder and former CEO of Panera Bread, the author of the new book, Know What Matters, Lessons from a Lifetime of Transformation. And thank you for the nice words in the book itself. Thank you, Jim. May have money's back with you. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Good for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Quick red light. Let's start with Charles in Florida. Charles. Rudolph from God's waiting room. Well, it's a little negative, but I hear it. I'm sorry? Mr. Kramer, thank yes. you and bless you for helping a lot of us old people resurrect our retirement funds. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. How can I help? Moderna. Which one? Moderna. Moderna. Okay. You know, look, I think Ben sells real good. I, I have been a believer in Moderna, but they got to start coming up with those personalized cancer vaccines because people just think it was a one-trick pony. I have the Moderna shot today, by the way. I have my uh, booster. Everyone should get the booster, all right? And get your flu shot. Did them both today. Terrific guy from CBS in the building. George, love it. Bob in Florida. Bob. Me too. Booyah from Southwest Florida. How you doing? I am doing well. Oh, that's a nice part of Florida. I lived in Southwest Florida. What's happening? Not much, not much. Quick question, especially with all this new uh, weight loss and this new uh, Eli Lilly drug. I was at this establishment recently, and it was packed. What do you think of Planet Fitness? Okay, so let me tell you about Planet Fitness. I, I was a huge believer in the previous CEO. I never heard out, heard what happened. Uh, they have an interim CEO. Until they c- tell me what really did happen and put a new CEO in, I'm a lifetime guy. That's the way it is. Let's go to Martin in Florida. Martin. Morton? Yeah. I think I hear Kramer. What do you got, Morton? Oh, hi, Jim. I would like to know about MGM Grand in Las Vegas. What do you think? I think MGM Grand's okay. The stock's down a lot. We own Win for the Travel Trust, and Jeff Marks knows it better than anyone other than people who win, and I think that that is the better one to own. Let's go to Robert in Michigan. Robert. Yes. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How um, are you? My question is, is AT&T a good stock to buy? Well, it's not my favorite. I have to tell you, I, you know, look, I, I have been negative on Verizon. That conference call today was very good, so i got to be a little more uh, positive on that. But I remain a scorer for T-Mobile, and I continue to believe that T-Mobile represents the best buy in that group. Let's go to Jay in New York. Jay. Hey, Professor. I'd like to know your opinion on DRS. Should I buy some more? I have some shares. I happen to, you know, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And I don't like to be that, uh, usually that uh, uh, quantit without that lacking qualitative, but it's in the right sector and it doesn't matter, frankly. It's going hard. Let's go to Stackwell in Washington. Stackwell. How are you? How much? How are you doing? 
I'm all right, man. You know, I got to say, man, you know, I see a lot of haters still talking about you, man, but, you know, you're my brother from another mother, man, so I got to pay you back, man. There you go. I like that. I like that. That's that's very strong. Very strong analysis. Yeah, so, uh, look, man, uh, I've been seeing a lot of things going on real quick, man, just to get by. Uh, I I need your spectacles on the technicals, man. Bitcoin's going through the roof lately. Tell me, man, we got something from Marathon Digital. Is it worth pulling the trigger on? I'd rather just actually own the, you know, look, they got this ETF coming out. I'd rather just own Bitcoin. I, I just got, I, I like a straightaway way to buy something. I just do it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by Charles Schwab. Maybe, just maybe. We beat too many swords into plowshares and turned too many spears into pruning hooks. It's hard not to feel that way when you listen to Greg Hayes, CEO of RTX, formerly Raytheon. This morning he came on Squawk on the Street and explained that our country just isn't ready to supply two land wars, one in Ukraine, one in the Middle East, while also preventing China from snapping up Taiwan. Of course, our government spends a great deal on defense. That's undeniable. But the Pentagon spent 20-odd years fighting the war on terror. They seem to forget the possibility of conventional warfare. You can tell because we're emptying our arsenals to help out our allies, and there's no way we can replenish them fast enough. We simply don't have the right weapons for the moment, at least not enough of them. Take a listen to what Hayes told me this morning. It's actually pretty simple. If you think about the last 20 years, DOD and the American government has been focused on fighting terrorism. The thought of fighting a ground war in Europe was far from anybody's mind. The thought, the thought of fighting a, a war in the Pacific uh, was always way into the future. And again, as, as those threats have evolved, we haven't evolved as quickly as we needed to in terms of our procurement policy with DOD. And again, we, we just need to focus on what does the uh, warfighter need? What do we need to deter these uh, these rogue actors out there, whether it's Hamas or whether it's Russia or China, what are we going to do to make sure that we can deter them and, and not have to prosecute a war? The U.S. is now frantically trying to rebuild its military stores, but as RTX made it clear today, our industrial capacity is woefully behind. The need for more factories, more workers, more materials far exceeds our ability to supply these things. It's almost like somebody in Washington started listening to President Eisenhower's warnings about the military-industrial complex at exactly the wrong time. I'm not worried about the military-industrial complex. I'm worried about Ukraine running out of missiles. Now, the mad and mad money doesn't stand for mutually assured deterrence. This is a show about stocks, not defense policy. But if you take Hayes at his word, it's likely the big five defense contractors, Lockheed, Raytheon, Boeing, Northrop Grumman, and General Dynamics can and will pivot if the Pentagon asks them to. Of course, recommending defense contractors in the face of so many civilian casualties does indeed make me feel like Cal and East of Eden, a textbook war profiteer. But our country's paltry land war-making capacity makes us a weaker arsenal of democracy. And sooner or later, either the White House or Congress will change how our defense budget gets spent. That makes the big defense contractors investable. I think the best might be L3 Harris, LHX, because this company had the foresight to buy Aerojet Rocketdyne for $4.7 billion not that long ago, turning itself into an essential maker of rocket motors, something essential we can't get enough of these days. I'm talking about Javelin, Stingers, guided missile launch rocket systems, and these are exactly the kind of modern munitions that we're running short on, because our allies are fighting real wars, and real wars burn through this stuff like it's nothing. In a perfect world, we could go biblical, swords to plowshares, spears to pruning hooks, for no nation to lift up sword against another nation. And hey, I I don't know a soul who disagrees with Eisenhower's admonition about the military-industrial complex. 
But man, after we got out of Iraq and Afghanistan, it feels like our leaders convinced themselves that we'd have some kind of world peace situation on our hands. In reality, the rest of the world's only gotten more chaotic, and our government can't do anything about it if we run out of munitions. That's why we need to rebuild this stuff as soon as possible. And because this is essential defense production, the replenishment needs to happen right here as soon as possible. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last fall starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.